Hey there, you're listening to Real Talk with Rachel, and I am your host, Rachel Gilbert. The world needs who you were made to be. You, my friend, have extraordinary and unique gifts, but things like fear, insecurities, lies, and even past wounds keep us from receiving God's best and releasing those gifts into our world. This show is a safe place you can come to hear relevant, engaging, and authentic topics to help you get real, live free, and pursue your God-given dreams. Before I introduce you to today's guest, I want to thank Cultivate What Matters for sponsoring today's episode. I use their Write the Word journals and power sheets on a daily basis, so go check out all their beautiful goodies as well as their gorgeous new power sheet designs via the link in today's show notes. Today's guest, Julia Sadler, is a licensed professional counselor and a reality star from TLC's Rattled, who has seen God do immeasurably more than anything she could hope or imagine. After suffering three miscarriages in one year, God blessed her and her husband Ryan with triplets. Their story of faith, prayer, and evangelism in the midst of heartache has encouraged thousands around the world. Julia is the girls' ministry director at the 13,000-member First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. She's a regular conference speaker, radio show guest, and host of The Julia Sadler Show. Her clinical training, biblical foundation, pastor's daughter upbringing, and sense of humor provide a fresh perspective on cultural topics. Julia recently released her book called Pray Big Things. After this episode, you'll be encouraged to pray big things and how to overcome when things don't go as planned. Let's jump right into the inspiring conversation I had with Julia. Hey, Julia, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. I'm happy to have you here today and all the things we're going to dive into and talk about. But um, before we do that, one thing I love to do in the intro, I always read your pretty bio that, you know, you, you guys send over to me, which I love. But I love for you to just share something that if you and I were sitting down for coffee and you were going to tell me something about yourself that I wouldn't see in your bio, what would you say? I really like to surf. Wow, I love it. That would be in the bio, but now that I'm older with three children, I feel like I need to be more responsible, but I think surfing is really fun. (laughs) That's so cool. Isn't it hard to learn? Like, did it take you a while to learn? Well, I only did it when I was a child and teenager. It's nothing like (laughs) super impressive, but I think it's really fun. (laughs) Yeah. This has become my favorite question to ask guests because I have learned just the most fun things about people. I'm like, huh, okay. I've never known that. That's awesome. Yeah. So let's dive right in. I've got a lot of stuff to talk to you about. So you have recently written a book. Tell us a little about that book before I ask you questions about it. (laughs) Yes. So my book, Pray Big Things, The Surprising Life God Has for You When You're Bold Enough to Ask, just came out last week and it is available everywhere books are sold. And so I am loving talking about the miracle that God did in our life, but also the one he wants to do in everyone's life. Well, I know that title is very catchy, and I think we all are like, yes, please. So tell us where that came from for you. Yeah, so Pray Big Things was the prayer motto, the life motto, the faith motto that just changed my husband, Ryan, and my life forever. After 
having three miscarriages in a year, Ryan and I started praying just super boldly and super specifically for multiples, for three children, and for God to do more than anything we could hope or imagine, Ephesians 3.20. And God, in His grace and sovereignty, chose to bless us with triplets. And so pray big things was our motto through that. And then it became just a huge hashtag and also just something that we encouraged other people with. And so Pray Big Things, the book, is a little bit of our story, but more how everyone can access that kind of power and what the Bible really says practically about prayer. Yeah. You know, I love that you brought that up because one of my favorite prayers personally is when the enemy rips us off of something. I love to go to God and say, hey, God, would you redeem this? Because he is a redeemer and he loves to redeem. And uh, I don't want to take too much time sharing my story, but I think I don't know if everybody listening knows this about me. But after my second daughter, I had a miscarriage and it was pretty rough. It was in the hospital and was told by doctors that I probably wouldn't be able to have kids again and all kinds of horrible things that, you know, just were very discouraging. And I had a season there after that where I, if I'm being honest, was a little bit mad at God and a little bit like confused. Like there was all kinds of emotions happening, you know, and I kind of just shut down. That's how I dealt with it. And I don't remember how long after I want to say seven or eight must have been seven weeks after I just kind of had a day where I was like, Lord, I don't want to be mad at you anymore. This wasn't your fault. You didn't do this. And this isn't what you have for me. This isn't your best for our family. So I just said, I just said a very simple prayer, but it was a big prayer. Like you mentioned, I was like, just redeem what's been stolen from us. And I I ended up getting pregnant that year. My only son was born 10 days late on my birthday. Um, (laughs) So it was a total redemption story. And so I'd love to hear, I mean, you mentioned three miscarriages. That's, that's a big deal. Do you want to share any more about that? Oh, yeah, for sure. So my husband and I have been married for seven years, and we were at a student ministry conference, and everyone was on their, like, 10th kid. And Ryan and I were like, I think we should, you know, I think it's time. Uh, You and I have talked. I've been already in school for about, I think it had been nine years at that point, because I was getting licensed as a therapist. And we got pregnant immediately. And I remember even having the thought, wow, that was super easy. And I mean, it's just a few weeks later than Miss Carrie, whenever I have a hundred girls in my backyard, because we're in student ministry. And that night I was talking to them about how God has a purpose for their lives that isn't contingent on anything in the future. There's a purpose for them today. God wants to use them today where they are in their unique season. And so that was so surreal, obviously, because there I was, telling a hundred girls that while losing our first child. And the first miscarriage was really sad. I had so many people reach out and they're like, well, you know, I've had one too. I know it's sad. And I would just say, I mean, we weren't super hopeless at that point because it did, we did have a lot of people reach out to us. But then the second miscarriage we had was right. It was like, I had miscarried all of the vacation and we really needed a vacation that year. And on the flight, on the flight home is when I was miscarrying and church calendars are similar to school calendars, or at least ours is. And August is when we, you know, full throttle back into all of our programming. And so I was going back home to start everything for our ministry that year. And just completely devastated. And so Ryan and I just took the stance. I felt like God revealed this to us that even though this surprises us, the season surprises us, it doesn't surprise God. And so we just started asking very specifically, okay, clearly you knew this was going to happen. 
we're in charge of 300 plus teenagers. What do you have for us this year? And it ended up being this incredible season of evangelism in our student ministry. We had 12 year olds that were witnessing in downtown Dallas sharing about the gospel. And it was a really like our worst season personally was one of our best in ministry. And that we talk about that in Pray Big Things, just the book, how you can find your purpose in every season, even when we're praying big, how not to let Satan steal these seasons of our lives. And so the last, the last miscarriage was actually, I mean, it, it was so horrible that it was almost just, this sounds weird, but laughable because it was so clearly Satan trying to discourage us. I was teaching at two different women's conferences, one on anxiety and depression and what the Bible says about it. And then the second one on why God allows suffering while miscarrying. Wow. And so, so clearly, yeah, it was like, like God would do something to really encourage us. Like, okay, I'm going to have you speak about these things. I'm going to have you encourage others. And then we would be having, you know, some horrible loss in our lives. And so even though I've been a Christian most of my life, I've accepted Christ when I was four. And this was such a unique season of the rubber really having to meet the road. What do I really believe about the Bible? What do I really believe about God? Because I'm going to have to actually put it into practice now. Yeah. And when was your, was your third miscarriage in that same year? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. It was all, all the miscarriages were within six months. Wow. So, and just to back up a little bit, we didn't start praying when the miscarriages were happening. About four years ago, Ryan and I were talking and nothing was really wrong in our lives. We didn't have any incurable diagnosis or anything. We just simply wanted more. And so we just heard, we felt like the Holy Spirit was whispering in our hearts, what if, what if scripture is really for you? What if these promises really are for you? They're not just, you know, something you learned in Bible drill. And so we sat down and made a list of 20 things we were going to pray until they happened or until God specifically said no. And on that list were multiples, three children and evangelism and just initiative in our student ministry, actually a TV show because we were hoping to get to minister more in that outlet. And we had um, also a family member we were praying to that would end in addiction. So anyway, then the miscarriages happened. Then we started struggling. And so you know, there's just a difference whenever we're praying before lunch to bless our Chick-fil-A or whatever. And whenever we're bowing together with our spouse, begging God for his blessings and for specific requests. Wow. That is so awesome. So when you did get pregnant, do triplets run in your family or anything or no? Well, there are twins in our family, yeah. but we actually, we went to a fertility doctor and I talk about this in Pray Big Things because I have so many Christian women reach out and they're like, okay, I, I do think this is okay, but like scripturally, how do you back this up? Because I, some people kind of have weird feelings about doing that. But for us, like there was nothing pro-life or whole about continually losing children. And so very practically, we felt like obviously we should pray, but also we needed to act. And just like being sick, if I was really sick, I would go see a doctor. There was something wrong, clearly, to keep losing children. And so we went to a fertility doctor. The babies were not IVF. I took medication that was supposed to help with 
not miscarrying and triplets were never brought up. So we say that God used modern medicine to bless our prayer requests. And as anyone knows that stem fertility treatments in no way does that always equal triplets or healthy pregnancies. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I'm curious on your perspective, uh, being a counselor, the whole miscarriage topic, I, you know, being a woman who's gone through one, I also got those messages of, oh, I've had one too. It's no big whoop, you know, or whatever, like it's normal. And I know people think they're helping when they say things or they don't know what to say or, uh, you know, all the things that we all go through. I don't fault anybody because it's like, I don't know what to say. So what is your opinion being someone, one who's obviously had, you know, the three miscarriages, but then you're also a therapist in what if someone had somebody in their life that miscarried, what is a good way to be there for them? So everybody doesn't want the same thing. I would more say for the person experiencing the miscarriage, like you need to tell people what you need. We want our spouse to be mind readers and we expect our friends to do things and we just need to tell them, you know, for me, like I need to talk. I need to talk, 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 talk. But then sometimes like with whatever I was experiencing, I didn't need to talk anymore. And I would just tell Ryan, you know, I need to go see a movie. Can we go see a movie? Can we not talk about anything birth wise. Um, and for someone, if you're a friend of someone going through that, it's just so good to ask, like people want to be remembered. They want to know that you remember. And so asking what you can do um, and then just respecting that as well. And, and then also just a side note about Mother's Day. It's very important to reach out to your friends on Mother's Day that have experienced miscarriages. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. And then what would you say to like, same thing, going through miscarriage and different things like that, even you personally, did things like depression and anxiety rise up a little more in you during that time? Or do you see that as is common among women? Yes. Uh, so in my, in my book, Pray Big Things, I talk about struggling with anxiety and that's, um, I've asked my friends before, they were like, I would have never characterized you as an anxious person. But after, and I wouldn't have either, but after we lost so many pregnancies, then when I became pregnant with triplets, it was just paralyzing. I mean, the anxiety was literally paralyzing. And what was so weird was being a therapist and knowing what I should do and being a Christian and knowing um, just what the Bible says about anxiety. But it was just triplets are a high-risk pregnancy. I thought that that was if a certain medical problem happened, they were high risk. It's just always high risk. And so it was, what if, what if the babies don't live? What if I don't live? What if they have one of the million complications that Google says they could have? And so I, it wasn't an option to just look at the Bible as a book of suggestions. Mm -hmm. Like I had to put into practice what was, what I knew to be true. And so one of the biggest things that's most helpful is just worst case scenario planning. It's kind of the term. And we had to, I had to start thinking about, okay, what if, what if this happens? What am I going to do? And making a plan for that. And God was so close and so dear to us and just realizing that even though this this season surprises me, it doesn't surprise God. And he's promised to be there every step of the way. And so I couldn't just let my mind run off with every what if, what if, had to claim truth. And a lot of us say that, but we really don't put it into practice. Yeah. So is that a therapeutic technique, the worst case scenario planning? 
Yes. And no way can I take credit for that. However, I do tell as many people as possible to use it. Yeah. It takes the power away from anxiety because we make up in our minds, well, this cannot happen. Whatever it is, like this cannot happen. If I don't, I use this a lot with teenagers and they're like, I have to get into this college. I just have to. It's okay. We can pray that way. You can work for it. But in order to take that anxiety away, if that doesn't happen, what are you going to do? And that just helps take the power away from the what if. Yeah, it's kind of like the whole looking fear in the face and seeing what's the worst thing that can happen. And oftentimes we realize, oh, okay, if that happened, I would still survive. I would still be here to tell the story. We would adjust. We would adapt. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really? I, I was talking about that with someone, and really it's biblical because Paul, as he said, to live as Christ and to die is gain. I mean, not to be super morbid, but truthfully, as Christians, it's, I mean, the world can't do anything to us because we're already going to heaven. And so really realizing that's super biblical to live our lives as if there's nothing this world can do to me. Yeah. Yeah. That takes the power away. Are there any other coping mechanisms you would uh, recommend for anxiety? Oh, yeah. So many. Yeah. <laughs> it, would be, it would take probably two hours. Um, but yeah, I, I actually have a chapter in Pray Big Things called Panic and Prayer Warriors. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my book is the balance of prayer and practical steps um, that we need to take. And so, yes, I there, there are a lot, but calming down, I think this is an easy one. So many people walk around with coffee t-shirts and we're just like flaunting this addiction to caffeine. And then in the same breath saying, but I really struggle with anxiety. Okay. But you're like inhaling something that keeps your nervous system up for most of the day. And then wondering where anxiety comes from. And so just realizing a lot of times we're our, our own worst enemy. You know, if you're searching through Instagram and looking at all these fake pretty like images and then you're like, oh, I don't look like that. Okay, well, don't wonder why you're anxious. So there are lots of practical things. If I'm Googling for hours, the worst thing that can happen medically, I'm not going to be calm. And so really taking responsibility for our own peace and for, you know, the things that we do to really sabotage what God has promised us. Yeah. Is there a way that you can help people to become more self-aware? Because like even earlier when you mentioned about that, you know, a mom who's miscarried, that we need to tell people what we want. I know for me, I don't think I knew what I needed. And then like with anxiety, I think that a lot of us, and I speak for myself in this too, we know we have anxiety, but we don't always know it's triggering it, like those things you just mentioned. And so what is a good way to be more aware of the things that trigger us and things like that? Very simply, you need to be aware of what you tell yourself. So self-talk is the number one problem with anxiety. And while we can't control what happens in our lives, we can control what we tell ourselves about that situation. And so it seems simplistic, but it's not. It's scriptural and backed up by lots of science. You have to believe truth. So what is truth? Well, as Christians, we know truth is whatever God says about us or about our situation. And I think if you're not a believer, that is going to be harder to decide what's true. But as Christians, we have a standard of truth and that's scripture. And so that is something we are responsible for is telling ourselves the truth. And so very simply, very practically, 
anxiety is caused by the things you tell yourself that are negative. Okay. And so the way you identify that is what are those automatic things that you say? So you're blow drying your hair and you automatically are like, I'm so ugly or I'm so, I, my hair looks terrible or I'm so stupid. Like those automatic thoughts, that's how you identify your self-talk. But then even if it's nothing that that pointed at yourself, even if it's just a situation and there's one way you constantly think about it, you know, like you're not getting along with your husband and there's something you're always telling yourself, you need to bring that into the light of scripture. Is that what God says? Does God say our situation's hopeless? No. Does God say that it was a mistake? I don't know. I'm just like throwing something out there. Does God say that it's a mistake that, you know, we live where we do? No, he says that he's perfectly planned um, where we're supposed to live, the boundaries and times and places is what Acts says. So just realizing the self-talk and then forming that, really taking responsibility for that and telling yourself truth. Yeah, I love as I'm sitting here listening to you talk. Every time you gave a reason, you backed it up with scripture almost every time. And I just hope the listeners, I just wanted to draw your attention to that because it also just shows the power in meditating on God's word so that when these times come and we recognize those thoughts, it's one thing to recognize the negative self-talk, but then we have to have tools in place to kick them out, you know, to reprogram our mind. So I, I thank you for just demonstrating that in action. Yeah. Well, and so much goes into that. I don't want it to sound simplistic. And there's a ton in my book about combating anxiety with scripture and with uh, practical proven psychological techniques. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I don't think, see, but I kind of love that you made it sound simple because I think we can overcomplicate it. And when it feels too complicated, we just give up or we, you know, don't even want to try to, you know, overcome it. So I appreciate that you make it simple. Yet we still have to put our stake in the ground and say, enemy, you don't get any more territory here, you know. <laughs> I talk about Philippians for, I mean, a lot of us know it's be anxious for nothing, but we kind of stop there. And so you have a lot of Christians that are like, okay, but I am anxious and I'm not supposed to be. And so now I'm more anxious because now it's a sin. Like, And you have to, you have to, even with that, we stop at, I think it's, it's Philippians 4, 6. You have to go through to 8. And what I always say is God never diagnoses a problem without providing a solution. Mm. So in Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious about anything. But then later in 8, if you just read two scriptures down, it tells us how not to be anxious because no one becomes less anxious by just saying, I'm not supposed to be this way. I'm not supposed to be this way. And Philippians 4, 8 tells us we're supposed to believe truth and whatever is true, that's what we're supposed to dwell on. And our culture makes it really hard to dwell on what is true. And so that's something we have to be careful about. That's such a great point, because sometimes it is kind of like, what is even true? You know, and you have to go back to the Bible yourself and be like, is what they're saying even the truth? And um, I'm going to repeat something you just said. You said God never diagnoses a problem without providing a solution. That really resonates with me because I am in one of my classes is DSM-5, and it's all about diagnosing. That's all it is. And we've literally had these debates in classes at a Christian university about how, you know, not wanting to put labels on people and that whole thing. And I love that, you know, that's such a great reminder of, yes, like even if somebody was diagnosed with anxiety, that is not the end. That doesn't mean there's no hope. And now you're always going to be this way. It is a light like, oh, but hey, guess what? Good news. God will provide a solution. Yes. And then also realizing for whatever reason, Christians really like 
to put fertility problems and psychological problems as spiritual. And while there could be a spiritual component, there's no reason to separate those out as, well, those are spiritual. There's also a very heavy medical component. And thank goodness we live in 2019 where there's modern medicine and help. And so sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to go see a doctor and get some help. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought that up too, because I'll put you on the spot and ask you, what are your thoughts on taking medication for anxiety? Yeah. So we have to be careful when we're talking about that because anxiety is not the same for everyone. I have a friend, I'll give this example and she, uh, I hope this is okay to say, but anyway, she had been kidnapped and sexually abused. And there was something that just, just for the sake of being careful, there was something that went along with that. And every time she saw it from then on out for the next 10 years, she, I mean, she would just have this over overwhelming panic, hyperventilation. That's not what we're talking about. That's We're not talking about trauma right now. What I'm talking about is that generalized anxiety of what am I going to do? We're not talking about those responses to traumatic events. Those are things that absolutely need to be addressed. And even if you're like, oh, what if it is just that normal anxiety? If you don't know how to handle it, you need to get help. Mm hmm thing about anxiety, it's so treatable, but you, a lot of people do need to get help for it. Yeah. I'm not going to say yes or no, because it's, it's all individual, what we're talking about. I do not think medication's wrong. Yeah. Well, you answered wisely and I figured you would. That's the only reason I asked the question. So I was like, I don't think she'll be like, put her stake in the ground because I really agree with that too. Just that it always goes back to, I mean, that's the end of the day story for all these things. Everybody's so individual and that's why you can't cookie cut anything, you know, just like God didn't, he didn't make us all cookie cutter, look all the same, act all the same, you know, all the same qualities. And so the way in which we approach something is going to be different. And also thank you for distinguishing that difference between someone with trauma versus anxiety. I know right now I'm learning about anxiety in school and I honestly reading about it, it has made me aware how much I struggle with anxiety. I never thought that about myself. I I never would have put myself, you know, at thinking that, oh, I struggle with it. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's what that is, you know? So it's been very eye-opening. Also something that happens though is that Christians also can decide that they're the authority on things and we don't need to tell people to get off their medicine. We don't need to tell people what they should and shouldn't do. We can give our opinion, but unless you're actually a doctor treating that person, we don't know what they should do. And so you would just hate to be responsible for someone either struggling their whole life. I worked with a 70 year old man who went to a church that literally had on the wall, depression is a sin, depression is a sin, which I don't know why that would be. Yeah. Church. But anyway, so he struggled his whole life. And then he came um, to the clinic where I used to work and he got help that for medication that balanced out everything that was going on, got some counseling and had a completely different quality of life. And so you just don't want to be responsible for giving someone the wrong advice, especially if that's not your area. Yeah. Yeah. 
Thank you. Oh, you're speaking so much truth into this area. So I know we've talked a lot of it about anxiety, but I just personally know, well, on my podcast, for one, uh, the most downloaded episode is one where a woman shared her struggles with anxiety. And I hear it all the time, especially women. It tends to run a little heavier in from what I've seen my own experience. And so, yeah, I just think this is such a, a needed topic. So when we're thinking about praying big things, what would you say to the people who feel like they have prayed big things and have not seen those answers come to pass. Yes. So in my book, we talk about this. We talk about what the difference is between unanswered prayers. We're talking about two different things. We're talking about either when God says no, 100%, like it's over, whatever you pray for, or when you're in the waiting time. And so my book, Pray Big Things, talks about how to grieve. You know, Pray Big Things sounds kind of name it and claim it, and it couldn't be anything further from that. It's a very positive title, and it's backed up by scripture, but my book talks very specifically about what do we do with grief? What do we do when God says no? There's an entire chapter to that. And then what do we do in the waiting time? In times we never would have chosen, but that God has us in for whatever reason. And so unanswered prayers, you're talking about two different things. It's either when he's actually said no, and we have to go to him with our feelings and with our hurts. You know, we have to go to God whenever we have that happen and he can take it. You know, a lot of us think, oh, I can't, I can't be disrespectful and like tell God I'm mad at him. I love your story. It's so true. Like you can tell God, I don't know why you did this. Help me understand. And that honesty creates intimacy. And it's the only way you'll stay connected to God because none of us is going to have perfect lives. Honesty creates intimacy. That's a, that's good. I had to repeat that. Yeah. I'm glad you also brought up grief. Let's talk about that for a minute on I know everybody can interpret that differently and it looks differently for everybody. Do you have any thoughts from your perspective and a counselor's perspective on grief? Yeah, I think realizing that grief is a normal part of life. A lot of people have been misled in their spiritual life into thinking, well, now I'm a Christian. And so everything's just going to be amazing and, you know, easy and that's just not true. In first Peter, you know, the Bible says in this world, we're going to have trouble. It's not maybe like we are. And so we're not supposed to be confused when bad things happen. And the great thing about being a believer and about being a Christian and knowing Christ is that we have a peace that surpasses understanding. There's a reason that Paul was able to be in prison and still be witnessing. In my book and pray big things, I talk about getting the news. I go into preterm labor at 22 weeks and the doctor comes in and says, hey, I'm sorry, but they're going to be born blind with brain bleeds or not at all if you go and give birth right now. And so I had to ask God, okay, if the worst happens, which I am begging, I'm praying, I'm pleading, thousands of people are praying that that wouldn't happen. But what is your purpose for me today? And I got to witness to so many nurses and so many ministers, so many people online. And so with that grief, realizing it's just not the end. And as Christians, like we have a hope that goes beyond death. And I love what Jesus said in John that, you know, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And so grief is real. It's something that we cannot over spiritualize and be like, oh, praise God. I'm so happy that my, you know, child is not walking with God. Like, I don't know, just giving an example. We don't, we don't have to be fake and God never asks us to be fake. Jesus begged God, take away this cup of suffering. He 
ask God, is there any other way I don't have to go to the cross? He was in so much distress that he cried blood, tears of blood. But God was still able to redeem that situation. He was murdered, but that murder, that death on the cross provided our salvation for those of us who've trusted Christ as our savior. And so just realizing grief is real, feelings are real. As Christians, we have to let ourselves feel, but then also realizing there is still hope. We can't get stuck in that. Yeah. I'm glad you wrapped it up like that because I was going to ask you, what what would you say to somebody listening who feels stuck in grief? Like just uh, can't move past that. Yeah, we really need to take away the stigma of counseling. No one thinks anything about someone that goes down to their front really in a church service. And counseling is really just getting that more focused one-on-one. There's a difference between healthy grief and unhealthy grief. And if you're stuck in that or you just feel like it's been too long or other people are telling you it's too long, there's nothing wrong about getting help. There's nothing wrong about talking to someone about it. And sometimes that's just a healthy friend that can really give uh, feeling felt is what we call it. But anyway, or sometimes we do need to go see, go see someone and there's no shame in that. We're human and we need help. Yeah. All right. I'm feeling led to wrap up our conversation with you speaking just like you did there to people who are maybe stuck in grief. If somebody listening today has had a miscarriage or maybe going through one, what would you say to her? Yes, I would say if you are struggling with miscarriage or infertility, that your purpose is not contingent on your ability to get pregnant. You have a life purpose, and that does not have anything to do with what will or won't happen in the future. And so ask God, what is your purpose for me in this season? And tell him how you feel. Don't run from him. Tell him, I'm disappointed. I'm hurt. I want this to happen more than anything, but show me what you want for me right now. Oh, that's beautiful. Okay. And then on that same note, what would you say to somebody listening today who is struggling with anxiety? I would tell them to (laughs) let yourself feel, okay? A lot of anxiety comes from telling ourselves we aren't supposed to feel a certain way. And that makes this energy like, you know, we're sad, but oh, we can't be sad. Oh, we're lonely, but we can't be lonely. Don't we know? We always have (laughs) Christ with us. We have to let ourselves feel. We also have to choose to believe truth. Mm. So let yourself feel and choose to believe truth. Writing these things down for myself, too. (laughs) I always tell people, I'm like, these podcasts are therapy to me, too. So (laughs) that was one of the wildest things was I was already a licensed therapist and working minister. And then all of this stuff happened. So it's pretty it's for all of us. I'm I'm saying all these things as someone who has to put into practice daily. Exactly. Yeah. And isn't that the truth? It is like a renewing of your mind daily and sometimes multiple times a day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, Julia, thank you for coming on today. Before you hop off, I would love for you to tell everybody where they can find you online. Yes. So my website is juliajsadler.com and you can buy my book on there or anywhere books are sold, pray big things. And then also have a weekly podcast and YouTube show, The Julia Sadler Show. Awesome. Well, thank you again for all of your wisdom and insight. And I know so many people are going to be blessed through this episode. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Didn't you love Julia's big faith and even bigger heart? Go ahead and do yourself a favor and grab a copy of her book, Pray Big Things. Don't forget to text the phrase Real Talk to the number 44222 to stay up to date on all the latest show details and goodies. 
and don't worry, this doesn't add you to a weekly newsletter or text message opt-in because ain't nobody got time for that. Hey, and thank you to those of you who have left iTunes reviews. I read every single one of them. I appreciate them. So if you have not yet done that, I would so greatly appreciate it. All right, friends, that's all for today. I pray this episode brought you one step closer to getting real, living free, and pursuing your God-given dreams. I'll see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel.